Thanks for listening to the Downtown Community Church Podcast. My name is William and I'm the Executive Director here at DCC. DCC is located in downtown Tallahassee and our heart is to reach the city through loving God, making disciples, and being great neighbors. We recently launched a new building campaign called Building Opportunities. Over the years, we've seen God do some incredible things and we're excited about this next step we're taking as a church. To learn more about the building campaign and to see how you can be a part, visit downtowncommunitychurch.com. Thanks again for listening, and we hope you enjoy this week's sermon. So Nehemiah goes in chapter 2, investigates it, which was even more you know, detrimental or you know, was even more probably of a, of a weight-shifting idea, because it's easy for any of us to hear news about something, but it's a whole other thing if you go there. And you guys who perhaps are around or, you know, were in, in maybe a, a ministry sense, when Katrina hit, news covered it, you saw pictures of it. But if you actually got to go to anywhere that was affected by Katrina, I mean, you hear about it, you hear about it. That's a whole other thing when you see houses destroyed, when you smell the smells, when you see the sights, when you experience it firsthand. And so Nehemiah goes and sees this city that still has its walls and much of its city lying in ruins. And there's an incredible work to be done. And before we pick up with what we're going to pick up with this week, I just want to kind of draw the parallel to us. Because for many of us, God has in fact called you and called me to do something. What we believe is that Jesus didn't die. God didn't send his one and only son to die on the cross, to forgive us of our sins, to give us the Holy Spirit, to live and breathe and move inside of us that powers us and motivates us and mobilizes us to make a difference in the world, to live in mediocrity. We believe that God has gifted you and wired you to do something extraordinary for his kingdom here on planet Earth. And God oftentimes informs us of that, not through a dream, not through an angel, but how we did to Nehemiah, through a broken heart. But for all of us, whether you feel like there's this incredible work, because oftentimes when we say that, it's like, okay, so I'm either going to be a pastor, a missionary, a worship leader, or, you know, I suck at Christian life. You know, that's kind of the, the, the view, is if I'm not doing something unbelievable, then I'm not doing anything. But that's not true. Because for all of us, God has, if nothing else, called us to live in fellowship and obedience to him. That obedience lived out in a secular world is an incredibly dynamic thing. For you to live a holy life in your workplace, for you to live a holy life at your home, for you to live a holy life in your school, for you to live a holy life in your friend group, for you to live a holy life wherever God's called you to live a holy life of obedience is an incredible work. But many of us, if we're being honest, it's like Nehemiah where he went and visited Jerusalem, and you feel like maybe God's called you to do something, called you to be somebody, but when you look at the walls of your life, you feel like you are so far from what God has called you to be. You know where he's called you. You know where he's called you in generosity. But we're selfish. You know where he's called you in purity. But we're impure. You know where he's called you in time management, you know where he's called you. In all the areas and in all the issues of obedience. But you look at your life like I do sometimes. And we take a look and we think, man, 
I feel like I'm Nehemiah because I know what God's called me to. I know the work that he's called me to. I know the impact he's called me to. I know the obedience he's called me to. But I am so far from that, it almost seems impossible. Because I could never be the type of person. I could never be the type of person that reads my Bible every day. I could never be the type of person that prays every day. I could never be the type of person that would be a group leader. I could never be the type of person that could be a ministry leader. I could never be the type of person. I'm just not that holy. I'm not that pure. For some of us, it's like, man, I'm just not that interested in becoming that much of a Jesus follower. But inside of your heart, perhaps, there's something that knows beyond a shadow of a doubt that that is God's call on your life. So in chapter 3, Nehemiah engages in this work. Nehemiah, chapter 3, goes through all of the detail about who was working on this, who was working on this section of the wall, what family, what type of people was working on this gate, what type of family was working on this section of the wall. And it starts to go through this systematic rebuilding of the wall. And as they begin to rebuild the wall, they encounter something that we all encounter. As they begin to rebuild the ball, wall, as the stones start going up and as the rocks start going up and as the gates start going up, they face what everyone who ever did anything worth doing has faced, and that's adversity. The next three weeks, frankly, are about what do you do when you are beginning to pursue becoming the person that God has called you to be? What do you, be, what do, you do when you have started to pursue the work that God has called you to do? And all of a sudden, you face adversity in multiple different ways from multiple different people. In fact, what's, what's cool about Nehemiah is he faces it in different ways from different people and addresses them all differently, but all incredibly, incredibly, incredibly relevant and refreshing for us to understand what we do when we face adversity, because you will face adversity. What we do when we face adversity, because you will face adversity, will ultimately determine you becoming the person that God's called you to be. Now, let me just finish by saying this. There's some of us in here who are exactly like Nehemiah. You're not building a new wall. This isn't something that's been revelatory for you in the last, you know, six months. All of a sudden, you've decided to get your life for Jesus, and you just have this mountain. You have these mountains of sin, and you don't know how you're ever going to overcome them. You have all these habits, and you don't know how you're going to overcome them. For many of us, let's be honest, we used to be close to God. Maybe a year ago, maybe a season ago. Shoot, for some of us a little bit older. Maybe a decade ago. I mean, you were so stinking spiritual. You know, it's like, there was like Jesus, and then there was angels, and then like you were kind of like right here, you know? Because you went on, like, you went on a mission trip, you know, and you had your quiet time every day, you know, and you prayed all the time, and then you did for like a couple weeks what all the Christians want to do. You actually like memorized Bible verses, you know, when people come to you and say, hey, what's the verse, you know, that, you know, Jesus says this, or Paul says this, or I just know there's a verse that kind of says this, you know, and they tell you the verse, and you'd be so spiritual, you'd say, let me tell you the verse, because I, you know, am just below angel status, and I'm working, you know, I'm never going to get there, I'm never going to achieve holiness, but let me just project it nonetheless. So anyways, you've been to that point, and honestly, and here's many of us, we're exactly in the place where Nehemiah was. There was a wall, there was obedience, there was a relationship with God, there was intimacy with God. But that seems like it was so long ago, and it just seems like it's nothing like what it used to be. And we wish upon wish, and hope upon hope, and dream upon dream, that we can get back to that point. And for maybe for some of you, you had the wall, 
And the wall was destroyed. Over the last semester, it's been destroyed. Over the last season, over the last year, over the last decade, it's been destroyed. And you're looking at your life like Nehemiah looked. And there's so much work to be done. And as Nehemiah starts and begins, we're going to pick up in chapter 4, verse 1, where he starts to face what all of us will inevitably face. So chapter 4, verse 1, if you've got your Bible. Now when Sambalot heard that they were building the wall. Now, pause. Sambalot is a guy who's kind of a governor of an outside group. So there was, this, there was Jerusalem. There was this place that was the place that they were building the walls, that they would you know, have the temple around. And as they're starting to build these walls, there's a guy who's on the outside looking in saying, okay, that's a bad idea. So Sambalot heard that they were building the wall, and he was angry and greatly enraged, and he jeered at the Jews. So he's you know, upset by what's happening. And he said in the presence of his brothers and of the army of Samaria. In other words, this guy had some influence. He says, what are these feeble Jews doing? Will they restore it for themselves? Will they sacrifice? Will they finish up in a day? Will they revive the stones out of the heaps of rubbish and burn ones at that? And so Tobiah is about to comment in, but let's just pause right there for a second and say, come on, this is what we're all going to face at some point. If you're a Christian... If you have decided that you're not just a churchgoer, but you are in fact a Jesus follower, you've given your life to Jesus and you are pursuing what God has called you to be, at some point, at some point, at some point, you will face naysayers and you will absolutely face all kinds of opposition. It just happens. And there's all kinds of things that, 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 that frankly the enemy will use to try to get into you, to try to tell you. He starts off and he says, okay, I mean, come on. These feeble Jews are going to try to build a wall? In other words, these weak Jews, like these dudes don't even lift, you know? Look at the size of their arms. You you don't squat. You know, you don't deadlift. You don't do anything. I mean, come on. Look at you. You're so weak. There's no way that you are going to build this wall. You guys are not wall builders. You're simply not strong enough to rebuild this. On top of that, come on. He goes on, in fact, let's, let's just go through the list of them, what he says. He says, will they restore it for themselves? In other words, come on. Do they actually think that they're going to be able to restore this for themselves? Do they actually think that they're going to be able to accomplish this work? He says, will they sacrifice? In other words, now, this, this is interesting. There's, there's kind of a debate on what this, this criticism meant. Some people will look at it and they'll say, hey, when he says sacrifice, he's saying, well, do they think that they're going to get to the point where they're actually going to rebuild this city enough to where they are going to be able to sacrifice in the temple again? I mean, come on, do they actually think that this is going to work? Other people will say, come on, are they really going to sacrifice for this? In other words, do they, don't they realize there's no way this is going to happen? They are sacrificing for nothing. Your work is in vain. Your efforts are pointless. I mean, come on, are you really, you're sacrificing for this? You think this is accomplishable? That's ridiculous. He says, will they finish up in a day? Now, this kind of spoke to how quickly they were working. Because, they, I mean, they were just busting and getting after this wall. And so they're working, working, working. It's like, come on, look at how hard. Come on. Do they actually think they're going to finish this? You know, they, they, this is not a sustainable pace. And will they revive the stones out of heaps of rubbish and burned ones? At that, in other words, looking at us saying, come on. Now, back in the day, it used to be big old, you know, boulders, maybe. It used to be big old things. Everybody would lift together. I mean, come on. They're trying to build a mountain out of pebbles. Get out of here. 
You don't even have the resources it takes to do what you're doing. You don't have the strength to do, to, to, to do what you feel like you're called to accomplish to do. You don't even have, I mean, come on, you don't even have the power. You don't have anything that you need, and you're, all your efforts are in vain. Are you really sacrificing for this? Do you really think it's going to become or it's going to be accomplished? Now, let me just tell you, as you look at your life, as I look at my life, there are always and constantly going to be people who look at you and say that. Come on. I know you. In fact, let me just be honest. The longer someone's known you, the easier this is to say. Because you're trying to be you in 2016, who God's called you to be in 2016, but they knew you as an 18-year-old in 1998. They knew you as an 18-year-old when I was 18 in 2002. They knew who you were when you were that. They saw you at spring break. They saw you at the beach. They saw you with your friends. In fact, your parents over and over reprimanded you for it, and they knew, and they know you, and they said, come on, come on. I know you. You're not a holy person. You're not that type of person. You're not that good. Look at you and say, and even if you wanted to, you don't have the tools. You don't have the resources to become the person that God's calling you to be. And let me just tell you the danger in all this isn't just because people talk. Because people talk all the time. But oftentimes, the plan of God gets thwarted through the people of God because the outside naysayers talk to the people of God and confirm the insecurities that we already have, that we aren't good enough, we aren't strong enough, we aren't powerful enough, that we are laboring in vain, and we will not be able to finish the task. And the devil will drive that into your heart to make you believe that you're never going to become the person that God's called you to be. Because the reality is, the longer we go, the less popular it is to live a holy life. The longer we go, the less acceptable it is to live a holy life. The longer we go, the less, I mean, just people constantly, constantly are the way our culture is shifting. And not like is shifting, now like has been shifting for a long time. As our culture shifts towards plurality and relativism, and not in like a positional way, but just the reason is that the statement that Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life is an exclusive statement. There's no way around it. Our faith is founded on an offensive statement. And simply believing in that is and will become less popular as we move forward. For you to say that I believe that I am not good enough, that you are not good enough, that we and ourselves are not good enough. For us to say that no one can earn our way into God's good graces. It's not about behavior. It's not about becoming a good person. It's not about becoming a right person. But I believe, and what we believe, and what the Bible teaches is that all of us are sinful. All of us have sinned, and all of us have fallen short of the glory of God. And God offered us a way out through his son, our Savior, Jesus, that when he died on the cross, he offered ultimate grace, ultimate love, ultimate acceptance, and ultimate forgiveness, that he essentially paid the price that we couldn't pay when he died on the cross. And the only way to salvation is through is to the Father, and the only way to the Father is through the Son, Jesus Christ, who did what we couldn't do. And that is offensive 
Let me just tell you, if you're ever going to stand as a Christian, you've got to develop resiliency. You've got to develop thick skin. And not in a way at all that, de- that, that declares war on culture, but just understands that it's scripturally sound. In fact, the writers of the New Testament would say, anyone who wants to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will face persecution of many kind. It was true 2,000 years ago, and it's still true today. It's not going to be popular when everyone's standing around the water cooler at your work and gossiping and talking about everybody, and you excuse yourself from the conversation. Everyone's going to think that you think you're better than them. You're really just trying to live a holy life. It's not going to be popular to do the things that everyone else is doing, to, do, to go to the places that everybody else is going. It's not going to be popular. And you will face persecution for it. And truthfully, this morning, I just want us to have a realistic picture. Because for too long, many people who were in my position, who read from this book and had a microphone on, said, if you follow Jesus, it's going to be easy, it's going to be simple. But the realization, the reality of the Christian life is you will face persecution of many, many kinds. But I want to show you what Nehemiah did in light of that opposition. So, faces a little bit more, which I think is kind of a funny crack on him. Tobiah the Ammonite was beside him and he said, yes, what they are building. If a fox goes up on it, he will break down their stone wall. In other words, hey man, a squirrel could walk on this thing and it'd fall down. So Nehemiah's response in verse 4, we don't know how, by the way, Nehemiah found out about this, how he heard about this, what he understood. But in verse 4, this is what it says. He says, so hear our God, for we are despised. Turn back their taunt on their own heads and give them up to be plundered in the land where they are captives. Do not cover their guilt. And not their sin be blotted out from your sight, for they have provoked you to anger in the presence of the builders. Now, the, the, the first thing that Nehemiah does when he hears this response isn't to go talk to him. Isn't, hey, let's hash this out. Let me talk to you about how you feel about me. Nehemiah's first response is to go to God in prayer. Now, by the way, his prayer is a little bit interesting. We're not saying that, hey, if somebody hates on you, you should go and like pray against them and say, I hope you die and rot in hell. That's not necessarily the Christian response to this. But Nehemiah's first step is when he hears this is to go to his heavenly father and say, God, you see what's going on. God, you see what they're saying. God, you hear what they're saying. In fact, God, you know everything. So God, don't forget about us. Don't forget to protect us. Don't forget to help us. Don't forget about justice in light of what's happening right now. Because here's what Nehemiah knew. That ultimately, God had called him to a work. This would, this work would face opposition. In order to, to make it through the opposition, he would need resiliency. But if he was ever going to have the resiliency that he needed to stand in the face of the opposition that he had to face every single day, he needed God. The reason why many of us as, as Christians don't have the, the thick skin, the reason that we don't have the resiliency, the reason that we don't have the gumption that we need as Christians to live a holy life is because many of us try to live it on our own. We hear and we see and we face temptation and then we just try to power through it. Nehemiah's response was, God, I need your help. God, you're the one that can administer justice in this situation. Let me just tell you, it's our response as Christians. When you get persecuted, when you have someone that says something against what you think, I mean, come on, let's just be honest. 
You write something on Facebook and somebody writes something back against you, which it's kind of a debate whether you even should write something on Facebook. That's a whole other sermon for a whole other day. But let's just say, you know, you're that kind of a person, so we'll pray for you in that category of life. But you write that down, you know, and oh my gosh, how could, and I can't believe in you people, and you decide that you're going to wage your own personal social media culture war. And when you do that, you know, somebody writes out, you know, something back, and it's, I mean, come on. I have, I, I read that stuff, I rarely ever write that stuff, because I think that stuff is so dumb, I don't think you're dumb, but I just think, anyways, I, I, I just don't write that stuff, but I read it, and let me just tell you, there's something inside of me, all the time, we're like, I'm going to be sitting there talking to Lindsay, and I don't know why this happens, but sometimes, you know, it's at night, you're on your iPad, you're about to go to sleep, you see this thing, you see this rant, you see these people saying this stuff, you're like, you're just thinking in your mind, you are so dumb, you know, you're so stupid, here, let me give you 140 characters that's going to change your worldview, you know, I mean, and you, know, you just feel there's something inside of you that says, hey, when someone opposes me, let me defend myself, tear them down. Not, when someone opposes me, let me go to my heavenly Father in prayer. Resiliency happens as you lean on your heavenly Father. Persistence happens, endurance happens as you lean on your heavenly Father through prayer. The walls of your life get built back Not as you decide to work really, 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 really hard. But as you decide that what they say is probably right. That I probably am incapable. I probably aren't strong enough. I probably, when it comes down to it, don't have all the right materials. They're probably all saying the right things. But the realization that the Christian comes to is in light of all that stuff, I serve a God who has, who does, who is able, who is strong enough. And for me to lean on my own strength is just as dumb as me trying to defend my own position. For me, my realization is I have to lean and learn on God. For this, And you know what happens when Nehemiah does this? It's not like when Nehemiah does, he, says, he prays and all of a sudden everything goes away. This is, this is what I love about the Bible. It's so honest. So Nehemiah prays and they continue to work. Verse 6. It says, so we built the wall. I love this, by the way, that Nehemiah prayed and he just kept going. Prayed and said, okay, but this is the thing that God's called me to. Verse 6. So we built the wall and the wall was joined together. Half of its height for the people had a mind to work. In other words, the people were working wholeheartedly. They loved this project. Verse 7. When Sambalot and Tobiah and the Arabs and the Ammonites and the Ashdodites heard that the repairing of the walls of Jerusalem was going forward and that the breaches were beginning to be closed, they were very angry. So they see that this whole project and progress was going forward. And they all plotted together to come and to fight against Jerusalem to cause confusion in it. In other words... And so it wasn't like I prayed and there was this immediate obedience and God said, oh my gosh, I'm just going to take this weight away from you. It wasn't, oh my gosh, I'm just going to take this persecution away from you. God didn't see this in heaven and say, you know what, you're right, you've been obedient, here's your reward. They decided to work, they decided to lean into God. And we know what happened? The opposition just got ramped up and ramped up and ramped up. And Nehemiah looks at it. Nehemiah looks at it and he does what he always does. When it happened, he didn't decide all of a sudden, I need to do something different. He prayed. In fact, this is how it ends, or this section ends. And we prayed. In other words, he went from a me prayer to a we prayer. The whole group starts praying together. And we prayed to our God and set a guard as protection against them day and night. So Nehemiah sees this. 
And Nehemiah begins to pray. Nehemiah begins to pray because he knows what we know, which is what the naysayers say, which is what the haters say. When they say something about you, they remind you who you were. The realization that happens is that they're right. The insecurities that they're bringing up are right. But I have a heavenly father who can withstand. I have a God and I love a God and I serve a God who can withstand any opposition there is in the world. In fact, here's what's fascinating about this. As Christians, especially, it's our temptation to when we face persecution, to do anything to avoid it. It's our temptation to when we face any kind of adversity to avoid it. It's our, it's our temptation to when we face any kind of a naysayer to avoid it. But here's the interesting thing. God does not see the persecution and have the persecution be purposeless. God has purpose in the persecution. James says it this way in James chapter 1, verse 2. He says, here's what I want you to know, that you should consider it pure joy when you face trials of many kinds because you know that the, that the, that the perseverance or the trials develops perseverance and endurance in you and that endurance must finish its work, that perseverance must finish its work so that you will be mature and complete, not lacking anything. In other words, God wants to take what you're going through. God wants to take the struggle that you're going through. And as you go through it, he's going to develop inside of you a perseverance and a perseverance that will make you mature and complete. That it is, in fact, for the Christian maturation that we go through persecution. There is absolutely purpose in persecution, and God uses it, and God leverages it for us. You see, we think as Christians, the only way to mature is to know more. We think as Christians, the only way to know is to read more, or to pray more, or to be taught more. And those are absolutely critical. Those are absolutely valuable. But let me tell you, the way, or one of the primary ways that God matures your faith is allowing you to go through things that you don't want to go through. Because at the end, you will be mature and complete, not lacking anything. In fact, Paul, in Romans chapter 5, as Paul is writing to this church in Rome, Rome, by the way, who at the time was the epicenter of Christian hatred. Rome, who at the time was the epicenter of Christian persecution. Paul would say, hey, we take joy and in fact, we glory in our sufferings because we know our sufferings produces endurance and endurance produces character. That God, in fact, wants to use this, this suffering to produce this perseverance. And as perseverance happens, how it happens is it makes its way out into character. That God develops your character through the suffering that you go through. And as this suffering happens, as this perseverance happens, as this character happens, it produces something inside of you that will never, ever, ever fail you. And that is called hope. In fact, the way he says it. That suffering produces endurance. Endurance, character, character, hope, and hope will never fail you. And we as a group of Christians, let me just backtrack and connect a couple dots. We as Christians have a tendency to be just blown in the winds. Holiness that's just blown in the winds. Obedience that's obedience when it's relative or when, it's, when, it's, when it makes sense for us. Obedience that we follow when we decide that it's easy enough. Obedience in the 80% of our life where it's easy to obey and complete disregard for obedience in the 20% of our life that's difficult to obey. And you know why? Because we don't want to develop perseverance. We don't want to endure. 
Because we don't endure, we don't have the character. Because we don't have the character, we don't have the hope that the New Testament church has. And the good news is, the good news is, in all of this, it sounds kind of doom and gloom at this point. You're thinking, man, well, I'm definitely not coming back next Sunday. But here's the beautiful part about it. The goal of this is never for us to walk out the door and say, I'm going to persevere. I'm going to endure. I'm going to have resiliency. It's to walk out the door and say, what they say about me is absolutely true, and I am just as sinful as anybody else on the planet. And so instead of leaning into my resiliency, instead of leaning into my perseverance, instead of leaning into my endurance, I'm going to lean into my heavenly Father. Because I'm not strong enough. I'm not powerful enough. I don't know enough. I don't have all the resources to do and to become the person that God's called me to be. So this morning, let me, let me just tell you, I just want to paint a realistic picture that anyone who wants to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will face persecution of many kinds, but that persecution is not without purpose. And God will use that to mature you. God will use that to give you endurance. God will use that to make you mature and complete, not lacking anything. And at the end of the day, you will have hope and you will have a relationship with God. You will have walls that you never thought imaginable, but not because you built them, because you weren't strong enough to build them in the first place, because you leaned into a relationship with the Heavenly Father who was and is. Let me just end it by um, this quick, I guess, analogy that makes sense to me of how God uses the perseverance, God uses the struggle, God uses all that stuff in our life to develop us. If you want to get stronger, how in the world can you expect to get stronger without sitting under weight? If you want to get healthier, if you want to increase your cardiovascular endurance, how in the world can you expect to increase your cardiovascular capacity if you never run, if you never swim, if you never use that God-forsaken treadmill? How in the world can you expect to get stronger, to get healthier if you don't lift, if you don't run, if you don't exercise? And how in the world can we expect our faith to grow if we never have to lean on our Heavenly Father, if He doesn't at some point allow us to be under a weight that develops us, that perseveres us, that grows endurance inside of us, that develops maturity, that develops character, and that gives us hope that we can be mature and complete, not lacking anything. My prayer is if you're in this room and you're going through something right now, and this is the story of your life, that you're in the middle of a battle, that you're in the middle of a battle that you don't think is winnable, that people are saying stuff about you, people are talking talking about you, you're facing this wall of what your life used to be like, what your relationship with God used to be like, and you're looking at that saying, I don't know if I can ever rebuild it. My hope for you is not that God takes that away from you, but that God allows it to run its full purpose, which is to mature you and complete you. And God will use this wall in your life to turn you into the person and turn me into the person and turn us into the church that he's called us to be. So let me pray for you as we dismiss. Heavenly Father,
God, I pray for anybody and everybody in here who perhaps is facing a wall right now, looking at just a burned down, broken down. Perhaps they started to rebuild it. Perhaps they started to build it for the first time. And everyone around them says that they don't have the strength. Everyone around them says that they don't have the resources. Everyone around them saying all this effort is just simply in vain. And perhaps internally they've bought into that lie. God, I pray that you will replace that lie with the truth, that you are capable, you are resourced, you are strong enough, you are powerful, God, to do whatever the heck you want through whoever the heck you want to do it through. And God, you will help us to lean into that. You will help us to lean into you. You will help us to come to the realization that you sent your one and only son to die for us on the cross to redeem us, to restore us, to give us the Holy Spirit, to empower us to become the people who we've been called to be. Help us, please, 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 to come to the reality that we aren't good enough, we aren't strong enough, but we serve a God who does. And as we lean into you, our heavenly Father, you give us the endurance, the strength, the perseverance, develop to the character, the maturity, and the hope that will never fail. So God, I pray that you will turn us into a group of people, a group of Christians, who through doing this, we live what we believe. And at the end of the day, we become the light of the world that you've called us to be. In the name of Jesus, we ask this. Amen.